So, well, welcome. Uh, my name is Susan Hovendreyer, and I'm also a middle school science teacher. I teach at Avail Academy in Minneapolis, and um, I also. Um, I'll just go through this second slide to introduce myself to you. So, Avail Academy, that's our logo, but I work for Christian Schools International as the STEM Education Specialist. I, it's just my love language, science. Um, it's my passion, and I feel really fortunate that I can just share with you some of the things I've learned. I'm not the expert beyond expert, but I do meet with lots of teachers, and I just want to share resources and make connections and build a community where you can feel supported. And that's what we try to do. Hi. We, we'll we have a seat right there, I think. Yep. No, I can stand. All right. Um, I'm also a nationally, I have a national STEM certification, so I've gone through that process. Um, I'm a Honeywell educator specialist as well. I work with um, Honeywell in Minneapolis. And I have a farm, a USDA certified organic farm. So I thought I'd put that on there just to give you an idea. Um, Christian School Educators Science Academy, that's the logo that you can see. I have my business cards here too, so if you hear something today or have questions about the Science Academy or want some resources, I'm here for you. I'm a free resource for you, so feel free to use the network that we have. Um, that was one reason for me coming, is to let you know that there's something for you that Christian Schools International provides. Um, and so I wanted to introduce you to some things that are really um, key in science, partly because of the next generation science standards and how it's impacted the way we look at science and teach science and how it can be a bit overwhelming at times. Uh, there's two handouts that um, I have for you and one that I sent as a digital resource for you that you can get through this conference. I already sent it and you can print it and you can make it larger and you can go to this site, um, activatelearning.com and get a huge poster version. Um, but I printed just a few for you and it was in color so I didn't want to, it's more expensive to do color. <laughs> so, so I just wanted you to see this and you can print one of these on your own um, through your site, through this conference site. Um, but we are going to be talking about claim, evidence, and reasoning. Does, does anyone do this in their science class? Okay. Have any of you done it in even language arts? Do you ever, have you ever heard of some of your teachers using it for writing? It's, it's something that's been around for a while, but um, we've had a hard time teaching it to students. And now, um, because of the Next Generation Science Standards, we've found better ways to help you do it. So to start with, and to kind of lead us into this, I would like you to look at this handout. And um, if you weren't here a little earlier, I said this is the kind of thing I would have put on the table and in front of each student's desk before they came in and asked them, yep, asked them to do this as like the question of the day or the pre-activity. And so I would say, look at the picture. What do you see? What do you infer? And what questions do you have about this picture? And a hint to you is slip or trip, accident or crime.
she has a mouth that's open, <laughs> you know, or that kind of thing. But it's really hard to make an evidence-based claim based on a picture like this. And um, forensic scientists do this kind of thing all the time. And um, lots of students love the who did it kind of activity. So you could substitute this with any kind of picture. I do this also with pictures with, um, like, ladybug larvae, and then have students make observations, inferences, and questions as well. I, I do this with lots of different things, but for you, I wanted to do it related to our topic. So um, I just missed a slide because I want to. I want to. When I was talking about Christian School Educator Science Academy, I wanted you to know that Beth Bowen is sitting in the front row, and she's one of our lead teachers. We have four lead teachers who are teachers, just like you, who went through our Science Academy, and they um, are exceptional teachers that are really good resources, like hands-on resources, and they, um, we do, we're going to be doing some webinars together for teachers like you that you can plug into and they'll answer questions and things like that. So these are our four lead teachers for this year, and two of them come from this conference. Unsub is from the Potter's House um, here in Grand Rapids. So, so I just wanted to point that out to you uh, before I forgot. And um, I'm, I'm wondering, are you familiar with these two documents that I'm showing you pictures of? Okay, so the Next Generation Science Standards, 3D Learning, Practices, Core Ideas, Cross-Cutting Concepts. Um, it's something that we all talk about. Um, it's something that Christian Schools International is really concerned about, too, for you. Um, we've taken the standards and looked at them from a biblical perspective, have some resources for you that you can not only purchase, but some free resources that will, they will give you. Um, I'm going to be writing articles once a month that are free to you as well, that you can get through your, it'll come through email, but you can also um, email me and it's on their site. And it will all be on best practices in science from a biblical perspective. The one that's coming up in the next few weeks is going to be on engineering design process and how to do that in your classroom. And, and um, one of the lead teachers helped me write it, and she talked about how she used it in her class and gives you a sample lesson that you can try using um, egg cars. She's kind of fun. And, and then she, she interviews with students to tell you how she did it. So, um, But all this came from a K-12 science education, a framework for K-12 science education. It's a free resource for you. Um, if you're the kind of person that needs to work on curriculum for your school, I would suggest that you kind of find that and just scan through it and find some resources that would help you. Um, it is the background information for the um, next generation of science standards. So again, I just wanted you to see that. So, okay, um, I want to show you a video. So could we need to turn not that one, then the next one. Let me see if I can. Dogs like smelly things mm -hmm. that are buried. They <laughs> love to dig and bury. So 
Um, and something else might have happened, like someone else might have buried the cat, or maybe the cat just lost its collar. There's all kinds of things. Okay. I'm going to show you one more. I have evidence that proves my dad's a space alien. He speaks a weird language. He drinks green stuff. He says he's from Albuquerque. I'm not buying it. Just look at him. One more thing. He has a spaceship. Another good one that I would tell you, students would love if you showed it. So, um, so what evidence does she use to make a claim that her dad's a space alien? Drinks green. Yes. Now we as adults know. Oh, that's really healthy. Great. All the greens for a kid. I don't know. Yeah. And what other evidence does she use? The way he dresses in that Viking outfit, but she says it's an alien's clothes. Yeah. And the evidence doesn't lie, right? She tells you that. So, it's a very clever commercial. So. so, again, I want to just talk to you about some of the things I'm hoping we accomplish together. Um, learn to practice the claim, evidence, and reasoning format. I have a really simple lab that we're just going to do in this class. You've probably done it with your own students, but we're going to tweak it a little so that you can teach your students this model with something that would be an easy lab for you to do. Um, you're going to um, help students think and act like scientists, and this is one way we're applying the next generation science practices. And again, I told you that I have copies here, but you can get them through the conference resources. So. So here's a definition for claim evidence reasoning that comes from McNeil and Krajcik in 2012. So a claim, a statement that answers the investigation question. This is a novel concept for a lot of students, actually. How to, you're doing an investigation and you've maybe given them the question, um, but students don't often think, oh, yeah, I'm going to answer the question in a statement. So the claim is a statement that answers the investigation question. The evidence for this framework is the collected and analyzed data that is appropriate, sufficient to support the claim. So when we look at a picture like this, there's not sufficient evidence to make an appropriate, like, you know, if you want to say, I'm going to arrest this woman, you don't have enough information to do that. Um, you could, you have some evidence, but not enough. And then reasoning, a justification that shows why the data counts as evidence to support the claim and includes appropriate scientific principles. And often while I'm presenting this, I talk to students about, like, why would God care that we would use a framework like claim, evidence, and reasoning? Like, is there, um, is there some reason why this might be a good way to think about your investigations and collecting data in your reasoning? Can you think of any um, reason why this might be a good practice for a Christian school or a Christian educator or a Christian scientist? Any thoughts from the group? Helps us seek out truth. That's really good. Yes, seek out truth. Yeah. Anything else? Use the minds he's given us to to seek the truth and to pursue that. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, and you see it in your students. They have incredible minds. Very curious and. Um, this kind of model helps them focus all the information that they're collecting and looking at um, in order to figure out, is this evidence appropriate evidence? Did I collect it in a manner that was controlled so that it really is true data and not um, obscured by maybe three or four variables that I tested at the same time without realizing it? Um, so um, does anyone need any more time on this slide? Okay. You also are going to see it on that. Okay, so here's some examples of 
how a teacher took a biology example and took a question with a statement and had the kids highlight what parts the claim, evidence, reasoning. And I just have it all for you and have it in different colors. But the question was, what will happen to the shark population if the phytoplankton populations die out? So one of the claims could be the shark population will die out. The evidence, which they would have had in an article, the shark eats other fish such as ocean fish and lantern fish, and the ocean fish and the lantern fish eat other organisms such as shrimp and, and copepods, and the shrimp and the copepods eat the phytoplankton. That's the evidence. The reasoning is that phytoplankton are producers and they make um, their food from the sun and all the other organisms in the food well depend on phytoplankton. So they took an article and the teacher helped with this question, what will happen to the shark population if the phytoplankton populations die out? And this is another way to help students get at comprehension. I mean, you could do it with a really simple um, children's book that describes something like the um, metamorphosis of a monarch butterfly. You could do something like that, like what would happen if the temperature changed and um, the, the monarchs couldn't migrate. So they might be able to take something from a, a book and, and do this kind of thing. I have another example for you. Um, so, Susan, on that last one, were yeah. you saying it was written that way to help the students understand the idea of the CER and how it works in order? I mean, that you would have it with the colors, with parentheses, claim, evidence, no. reasoning? No, actually, this I, this I did for you. Oh. But I would give the students an article with, and then formulate a question for them and have them, as a group, come up with their own claim statement. And they might have a different claim statement, but this is just an example of students who had an, an article about phytoplankton and the shark population and the relationship between them. And the teacher asked what will happen to the shark population if the phytoplankton populations die out. And this was, a, uh, after much editing, it was a student answer. And you could, like I said, do it with anything, but this is just a sixth grade example. So it would be a great example as to show how claim evidence reasoning works to have when you're first introducing well, yeah. it as kids are just learning about yeah. it as yeah. our students yeah. are. Right. And they have and a hand like that, it's yeah. like, okay. Then they get a sense. And actually, that's a great way to do it. I did mine in reverse, but I kind of like that because they do need models. Model. Yeah. So, yeah, so feel free to take a photo and use this with your student. There's a similar example. Um, Go ahead. The salmon population is struggling in Lake Michigan. Oh yeah. Because the zebra mussels, oh. invasive, are taking some of the food away from the alewives, so the yeah. alewives are struggling. Therefore, the salmon population yeah. is struggling. Right. But that'd be a really good one to take something local and in the news, science in the news. Yeah. Um, so here's a way to use some evidence. So. Um, Evidence the analyzed data that supports the claim. So what causes some earthquakes to have more destructive powers than others, and how do you know? And you off, your students will often see these in standardized tests, and they have to read the data table. But it would be really great for you to take some data they already collected, or something from a textbook or a resource, and then you'd have them look at this, and they would take the evidence to um, what evidence can you use to support that particular claim. And again, you could do it in reverse. Like you could show this to students, like this is how you might analyze it together, and then they could take their own data and do it. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted you to see this as an example. And then, so something that I often teach the students, and I think it's important for us to remember, that um, when we have students collect data and when they look at data, um, not all data is considered evidence. And I think it's important to discuss um, how do we collect our data? What's the sample size? Um, and let students talk about what, how confident are they in the data that they collected. So maybe they realize, boy, I kept making mistakes, but I wrote it down anyway. Or, or I realized, wow, there are two variables I was testing, and um, so maybe I should have retested it. And then how, um, with data analysis, something that all our kids learn is how to organize it. Should it be in a graph, a data table? Maybe they graphed it and it wasn't really helpful then. And so then they can, they can um, organize their data in a different way. 
And then the other thing to remember is that evidence must be sufficient and relevant to your claim. And that's probably the hardest part for my students and your middle schoolers. So um, with an elementary classroom, you might do this together and you as the teacher might say, we'll talk about all the evidence we collected and we're going to do that with this simple lab in just a minute. Um, some of the evidence isn't helpful for our claim. It's just something interesting. Um, so we'll talk about that again in light of this particular lab. And then reasoning. So um, again, this is another example of what is air. And this came from a book about air. What, what is air? We read it. And then um, I was showing students what, how you would um, argue to show that the evidence supports the claim. So, and this, in this case, it says air is matter. That was the claim that the students made. And one of the students wrote, I think air has mass because in the balloon experiment, when we were comparing or weighing the deflated balloon on the balloon filled with air, the balloon filled with air weighed more. So when I did this, they read a book about air. They did some labs about air, like measuring the mass of a balloon when you fill it with air versus no air. And so they had to take what they did in their investigation with some of the information they read in their book um, to, to do this. And then the reasoning. This is because of mass. Mass means the amount of matter in, in something. The balloon which had air in it had more mass. Um, another reason why I think air has mass is because in the syringe experiment, it was difficult to push the top of the syringe because the air was blocking it from going down. Do you know what I mean by this syringe? You've done, okay. Um, the tiny molecules were trapped in the small space and created more pressure. Air pressure um, made it difficult to push it down. So this is just, these are some of the best examples, I will say. I brought them for you. But um, I think it's really important, um, just as an aside, to have a way for students to journal their thoughts. And um, for this particular investigation and this particular claim evidence reasoning, they were writing them in their science journals. I don't let them rip out pages, but I let them edit them on the next pages, just so I can see their thoughts. And I can see where's some gap in what they're learning. Yep. Um, are you okay with your students saying I think in a senior? Um, not in the end. But oh, okay. Yes, so but this was in the final version. Right. So in the final version, we would edit it more so that it wouldn't be I. Yep. Right. Okay. But I just wanted you to see what students were doing and that it wasn't just me. <laughs> so yeah. I got that. Yeah. But yeah, when students write them, they always do I. I think. Yeah, that's I know. a conversation we have to have. Yes. Right. So how do you do the conversation with your students? Um, I just show them that it's not necessary. You can drop the I think in the statement says the same thing. Air that's has really mass because in the balloon experiment when we were comparing, you don't need yeah. the I think. In. Right. Right. That's really good. Yeah. So does anyone do anything like this or have ideas that you could share with us related to um, what you Yeah. A lot of times... Um, so I teach seventh and eighth grade, and, oh, yeah. and at the beginning of the year, I always do start with this, and yeah. um, occasionally I will put random like claims oh. and random evidence yeah. and reasoning statements mixed together, and then have them go through and say which which of them are claims, oh, what, I like what, that. which of them are evidence, which of them are reasoning, mm -hmm. and then make them give evidence for why they chose that this is a claim. Like, yeah. what is a defining feature of a claim? Yeah. What's a defining feature of mm -hmm. evidence? Um, and a lot of times, we the, the evidence that I help them to generate is what is the data we can collect, what's measurable that yes. we can actually use to, yeah. to help understand why this happened. Um, and the understanding comes with the reasoning. But that's the little thing I do, especially with eighth graders who are very confident. Yeah, I know this is the one this again. I don't know why we're doing this again. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, I didn't really think of that as evidence because I thought it was this. And so it's really yeah. helpful for them to be able to point yeah. out the defining features of each. That's a really good suggestion. Does, does anyone in an elementary classroom do something like this? Yeah, tell us what you do. Uh, well, we just have been doing some stuff with pictured rocks and oh, yeah. how um, the land formation changes. Uh -huh. So we're taking like, pictures and um, doing some experiments and making some CERs with what changes the land formation, the shape and the size of um, pictured rocks. And how, how do you teach that plain evidence reasoning to you? Do you have um, like some techniques you could share with us? I've just used some modeling okay. of it going through um, with a different example. 
that's what I've done so far. Anyone else? I saw someone had someone else's hand. Um, that shows how the evidence supports the claim. So this is, these are other you know, questions that we were talking about. So how, does the, how is the evidence collected? How did you control your variables? Did you conduct a fair test? I always ask these questions of my students. I really like your idea of throwing in some false information because then you could pull that out. If they didn't catch it, you could tell them. And then they'd say, oh, yeah. And then the next time they'd be looking for it. So yeah. And then, um, OK. So I want to show you part two of this handout with the picture of the lady. And I, I want you all to have the keys, because this is the story. And so I'd like you to look back at the picture. And um, just, just send these down. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, yeah, do we have the lights up? Could you pass them? Sure. Yeah, sorry, guys. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that's good. I have one. Sorry, guys. Thank you. Okay, so here's um, there's many ways to describe this, but this is the way I do it. And if you use something like this, you could tweak it <laughs> because you can do whatever you want with this. So, so at five feet six and 110 pounds, the secret's really funny. You can weight Queenie was a sight to behold when she tore out of the house after a tiff with her husband Arthur. She went to the country club to attend a party, and Queenie left the country club at one and invited a few friends to follow her home and continue to talk. The friends got to her house about 10 minutes after Queenie, and she met them at the door and said, something terrible happened. Arthur slipped and fell on the stairs. He was coming down for a drink of milk. He still has the glass in his hand, and I think he's dead. Oh my, what shall I do? Well, the autopsy conducted later con concluded that Arthur had died from a wound to his head. You are an investigation officer. You and your group must determine what may have happened. You can either agree or disagree with Queenie's version of the events. And these are guiding questions, but I'd like you to now look at this picture, and with this statement, what would you say happened? And kids really love to do these, by the way, if you've not done these. And you can make up your own story, too, with any picture. <laughs>
there's supposed to be a way. No, I didn't. No, no, no. no. Is there any group that wants to make a claim or, or um, maybe add some more to our observation of what happened? She's like, you could even infer. You were the detective. Who would, who would you go after and what would you think happened? Yes. Well, we said we disagreed with Queenie's interpretation or her story. Okay. Uh, because if he was coming down the stairs to get his glass of milk, why is he backwards and why does he have a glass in his hand already? Very nice. And so if it were my classroom and I have my whiteboard, I'd be writing that down. Right. You know? <laughs> like all of you would probably be doing. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Anyone else? To kind of counter that, though, was she there when he fell? Or is she making an inference about what he was doing on the stairs? Oh, that's nice. I read that text. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it's still 1 a.m. and there's food cooking up. Yeah. yeah, that was well, yeah. I know. that the cup wasn't broken if he fell on the stairs like coming down to get milk it's weird that he bashed his head in and somehow the cup is perfectly fine yes like it was maybe placed in the hand uh-huh. yes yes we kind of thought if he had already come down and was going up with yeah. milk he it should be spilled yes you would see spilled you'd see something spilled yep yep is that, a, is that a wooden floor He's on. Oh. Not a tile floor, so the wood floor is more giving. Yeah. And his head's on a and carpet. It's a rug, though. so. Yeah. Yeah. The cup might not break, yeah. but if it had milk in it, yeah. there would be evidence of the milk being spilled. Yes. According to our photo, there's no evidence that the wound on his head is on his face. Probably on the back, then. And it'd be weird to me that if he did fall down the stairs, Coming down to get a drink of milk, I would assume that the wound would be on his like the front of his face. Yes, because of gravity. Of gravity. Yeah. But it doesn't appear to be. Yeah. So I would ask the investigators yeah. that question. Okay. So here's the fun part for your students is number five. Write a report to convince others in the class that your analysis makes the most sense. And then they get into like uh, they read it and they get into like an argument, which is good because then you can start talking about. And it's, it's a great way to engage them in the whole um, inquiry process, but also what is true evidence and what's an inference. And I know even with a sixth grade student, they often don't really, they don't stop to think about the difference between an inference and evidence and an observation. Observations are good, but they're not always the evidence you can use to support a claim. And then sometimes you can bring in stories of like, um, crimes that occurred and the wrong person was convicted and, and what scientists do to figure out who did with DNA and like that. So. One oh. thing about yes. observations and inferences. So yes. I start off that conversation with an activity where I light what looks like a candle and I tell them to make observations. It's really a cheese stick with a sliver of almond that oh. burns for a little while yeah. and then I bite into it. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, so... What were your assumptions? What were here? Because oh, it's it. not a candle. Yep. That's really good. Yeah. So, anyone else done anything like that? Um, you can put raisins in uh, oh, yeah. ginger ale. Yeah. And they're like sewer eating, sewer mm-hmm. insects that yeah. drink the sewer water and clean it all up, and then you like drink the whole thing. Uh-huh. And, yeah. yeah. And then they're freaked out. Then they're totally freaked out. It's a rock, right? They're making so, inferences yeah. that they should be making. Yeah, different discrepant events. I know I have this jar in my classroom with the, the density jar with two clear liquids and the beads. And I never, I keep it there all the time and I've never told them what does it. And I always ask them to figure it out, but I've never ever told them. And I've some have looked on the internet to figure it out, but, yeah. but I don't ever do that investigation, partly because I just love keeping it, and, they're, and uh, they come in and tip it upside down. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, one layer salt, one so one's rubbing alcohol, and then there's two different types of beads. They're made of different de- densities, so it's cool. If you don't, if you, don't you should make one. <laughs> okay, 
So, here's my investigation question for you. So how is water surface tension affected by soap? And so you have two, the way, I'm, I'm going to have you just do this quickly in this classroom and see if, or this room, our classroom. Um, can you make a claim, evidence, reasoning statement based on what you have in front of you? So I, I realize that I don't quite have enough supplies, so you might have to share pennies um, and water. So I have water, it has one labeled water, and the other one is soapy water. Okay, so I have these things for you, and I often just give them to students. I don't really even give any explanation at all, because we then do it again when things don't work out the way they need, and they argue about what is evidence, what is it. So, so I'd like you to do that with your group, and I apologize for not having enough for everyone, but please share with each other. So you've got pennies, pipettes, salt, um, soapy water. If anyone's interested in trying mouthwash, you can so maybe get his partners if there's excellent. So that's what I do with students. I like I go to Pokemon and then I put the green and I like put my magic pen. Can you want to do it? Oh, it's a magic pen. Yeah. Oh, you guys make magic pen. Take pictures of these guys doing. Thank you. 
change this. How is the water affected by soap? You could change it to something simpler. I did that because this is what I did in my class. Surface tension. And I knew what surface tension was. Already. What grade was that? What, what is sixth grade? Sixth because grade. you taught them that or they came in knowing that? Um, I, well, they should have known it coming in, but I taught re just refresh their memory. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot they don't. <laughs> <laughs> So come up with a claim as a group and some evidence. Paper clips they can fit in a beaker of water. 
So you have the beaker full of water, as high as it can be, and then they have to guess how many paper clips they can put in there, and they all write down a guess, like a guess first before the water overflows. So they usually guess, I don't know, 10, 20, and if you do it correctly, you can get like three boxes <laughs> in there. And then you talk about why, and then it domes, but they also see as you're putting it in, there's a slight film, like the water itself has a different property that they never really observed before, and then we talk about insects that can use that property and so there's lots that you can do with this related to water that leads into this too. Okay, so did everyone try the exploding water? Did you try that? With the, um, it didn't work. It didn't work? <laughs> okay, so that's true too. It doesn't work. It is the magic One other variation for this is, I mean, I have the mouthwash from the hotel room and you can give mystery liquids to kids that are clear. So you, if you're in high school or upper grades, you probably do this already, but you might have rubbing alcohol, salty water, I mean, anything that's clear that's sort of like water, and you just say, please do not drink anything, and then you make them wear goggles and all that. But they can do the same investigation, and they're going to start claiming things like, liquid B is not water, <laughs> you know, and they'll tell you why. So you can extend this in many ways and make it kind of fun. Um, if you're in an elementary class and you do bubble day, you could do something like this and not maybe use a penny, but something else. And um, it's kind of a fun way to talk about water and claims that they can make. Um, so reasoning. Um, here's what I do. Um, okay. Um, right. Oh, I need to say some evidence. Sorry. Um, so something that we all talk about is what is appropriate evidence. Like, um, So when you made your claim based on evidence, um, is there anything or any way that you maybe made a mistake? Or maybe something that's unfair? Like you looked around at other groups. So one of the ways we get into this discussion is everyone writes down the numbers. So how many drops of water did you have on your penny? So this group had, you said 25? And how many did you have on yours? 21. And how about back here? 23. 23. How many did you guys have? Water? 30. 35. Excuse me? We had 35. 35. Wow. And then what? 26. 26. Okay. So, so this group would probably say, we're the winners. <laughs> we won. And the others would be like, what? How did you get so many? And then they would start asking, well, how did you drop it? Did you drop it for a certain height? And then we look at the pipettes. So I purposely, in my class the first time, I just lay out the pipettes, all different varieties. You'll notice that you all had, some had these and some had the plastic, and a few were just the flat pipette, like that. Yeah. And then we would talk about, does that make a difference? So if we're all going to pool our data and make these claims, is there an error? And then we might say, well, did you use heads or tails? And how Here's old was your, your penny? penny? How clean was your penny? So does it have to be a shiny penny with the edges that are still there, whereas these older pennies are kind of rubbed down? Um, maybe, I think one of you has a Canadian penny. I think I threw a Canadian one in. Yes. Um, sometimes you could even just give them different coins and kind of change the question. Like, does the heads or tails make a difference? Does the quarter versus the dime make a difference? So um, this is a time to talk about how sure are you that you collected um, accurate data and data that really is fair. And fairness matters to kids. Well, it matters to scientists too. They use a different word, but for kids, the fairness matters. So, and then not all data is considered evidence. I mean, you made a cool observation with the um, pen in soapy water, but can we use that for our claim? Well, it could be another investigation and it's kind of a cool observation. So, um, okay, so those kind of conversations I would imagine would just sort of naturally come out because kids are all about fairness and then if you were to do it again which I would say you would do it again we're going to say okay we're going to pool all our data as a class we're like a group of scientists and sometimes they'll say you're from Germany you're from Canada you're from South America South American country um, and you're going to then uh, have a conference and share your data and make a claim together so what do you need to do and then we 
quantify how we're going to do it. So how far away we're going to drop it, which dropper we're going to use, um, lukewarm water, a penny from 2010, or something like that. And we be as specific as possible, and we become like little machines, but they understand why that would be important. And then you share the data to make it plain. And it's pretty powerful and pretty, this is a pretty easy experiment to do, but it kind of teaches kids the importance of accurate data collection. So um, I just put some sentence starters. I know we were talking about the I know kind of things that maybe we don't want them in, but um, initially I have them write them out in this format and then we change them into language that maybe you don't need to use the I statement. They just have a hard time writing it if they can't put themselves in it at first. And then we edit it. And I give them sentence starters right in their notebook because sometimes students just don't know how to even start and how to even uh, describe what their evidence is showing. Okay. And then reasoning. So reasoning is the explanation that connects your claim to the evidence that supports it. And it shows why the data you chose counts as evidence. So based on our investigation, why is the data you chose something you can use as evidence? Like those 25 drops of, of water versus the 10 drops on the other. So um, why do you think the data counts as evidence? What did you do that makes it good evidence? Well, after you had them run it again, you went through all the things that made it fair. So it's now really we can good. rely on it. Yeah. And fairness, again, it's really important for kids to realize it's it's okay to feel like that was not fair because you're right. If you're going to convict a person of a crime, like in that picture, um, you need to have really good evidence before you put them into prison. Um, same with just something like this dropping water lab. Um, how did we control all variables? And then the explanation acts as the conclusion statement of your experiment. Um, and then number three is something that I spend middle school doing, preparing them for high school. Reasoning connects the science to support and explain your claim. And um, when, we, when we're at the um, Christian Educator Science Academy, we talk a lot about this, how to include secondary knowledge and where you include secondary knowledge in the whole investigation. So I would not give them any, I would, I would not be the teacher expert. I would not show them any resources until after they've done this whole investigation and they're really invested. And now I'm asking them to explain why is it that the water, there was more water on the penny than the soapy water. Like what words would a scientist use? And they often don't have the words, so I'm gonna give them secondary knowledge. And I do not give this secondary knowledge until after they've done all this. All these things you did is what they would do first. And it's sort of um, like priming the pump or getting kids invested and giving them um, like, hooks to hang the knowledge on. They don't have, if they don't have any experience and aren't understanding where you're headed in your lesson, then this knowledge that you would give them doesn't really make sense. But in the context of this investigation we did, the secondary knowledge of surface tension explained. These are all different videos and one comes from a book, um, Properties of Water. So you would have them, in my class I would have them in Google Classroom they would have these videos available to them and they would get their headphones on and they would listen and they would listen for information that could help them with their claim evidence reasoning statements. And so they, there might be a lot of information that maybe they don't need, but they're going to get key words that they can use to help with their um, reasoning statement. And the key is just where you do this. So I know all of you teach things like this. You're going to teach science principles. Um, but with the next generation science standards, they talk about waiting and letting students be the scientist first and foremost, and you are the coach and the guide and the person who asks the questions and provides the opportunities and the experiences, and you become the expert or bring in secondary knowledge resources kind of like three quarters of the way through. And what I like to tell um, Teachers that I work with, I often tell them to do the ABC of science. So activity before content. You can just remember ABC. 
um, in, have the students investigate, do inquiry, um, ask the questions, do hands-on things, and then at the end, at the, at the secondary knowledge that can be added. Yeah. Um, if you do teach cohesion, I found that like after you've done this activity with the penny, yes. a great practice to do with the kids, and now that they have the primary knowledge of the penny experiment, mm -hmm. and they've built a claim evidence reasoning with their class, with their group, yeah. with the teacher, is grab a you know paper towel and have oh, yeah. them create like a little hanging strip of paper towel and dip it in the water and watch it. Oh, the capillary reaction. Yeah. There, yeah, and then and then you can talk about like okay, like use these words to kind of. Oh, build like an explanation of why that's happening. Yeah. Or you can put like a paper clip and, and very gently put it on the water and watch it float. Yeah. And then say, okay, well, what what do you think? Yeah. Use use a prediction. Now, what's going to happen when we when we drop a, a drop of soap, a dish soap on this? Oh, what's going to happen? Nice. And then you have them use these words to come up with it. Have them like whiteboard model it or something like that. Then they're actually using these things, and you can really see which of your kids and we're walking around and hearing them talk about it together. Which, which ones, ones know it, it which yeah. ones get it, and which ones need a little bit more yeah. help with it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where a journal is brilliant. So to ask them to take that example and sketch it, and then you can use it for um, formative assessment mm -hmm. as you go through. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and whiteboards. Do, do any of you have small whiteboards where kids can, yeah. I think they're awesome, awesome for this. And you could have had, you could have had all the data put on there instead and then bring the whiteboards up. Lots of ways to do it. Or they could. Um, another thing that's helpful for this is um, having kids organize their data to see the varieties of ways kids would take even drops of water on pennies and how they would make a data chart or not a data chart. You know, like how they would organize it, and then if they were to graph it, how would it look? And just sort of let them try, and then you as a teacher can see what do they know, what do they need to be taught. So, um, thank you for adding that. So. I just have a few more slides, again, this one for you, but um, I just want to show you a few examples from teachers, from what they did, but um, here's the uh, NGSS uh, science explanation. So um, how do evidence-based claims help students to act like scientists? And that's kind of the, the big thing for the next generation science standards is the science and engineering practices. Uh, the practices are experienced, not taught. It's not like a lesson would be um, using mathematical computation, computational thinking. It would be in the midst of this investigation, they would be doing it. And so it's not like a separate lesson, except this might be your theme to make sure you that kids understand how to use the math that they just did. Um, but um, the last three, constructing explanations for science and designing solutions would very much be plain evidence reasoning. Um, engaging in argument from evidence um, is very much what we just did today. And obtaining, evaluating, and com communicating information is something we do all the time. But um, it's kind of fun to point out to kids when they start connecting the vocabulary that they learned to, to a real life situation that they are using the knowledge of a scientist, they're thinking and acting like a scientist, and um, I think they feel pretty empowered when they realize they're doing things that big people do, <laughs> or, or scientists in the world do. And, and the change in science is that you would be um, getting students to do what scientists do, um, and, in, and having engaging activities um, that um, allow them to do a lot of hands-on, the A, B, Cs, the activity before content. Um, just um, so this is what one teacher did with contraction and expansion of solids. Could you turn one bank that yeah, my life assistant? <laughs> so here's her here's you've seen this investigation before where you heat up the metals and so students then she demonstrated students wrote, they made their claims and their evidence was with pictures and their reasoning. Um, and then she could use this for assessment as well. Um, again, here's another student's claim. I claim that if the metal orb was heated, it expanded, but when it was cold, it contracted. So, and then they had to. Um, I, this is um, for my class, and I had students make claims about the bones they found in owl pellets, and they used bone charts, and they had to make claims using evidence and reasoning, and they used all the resources they had available for them for them to make that. Um, 
Oh, and then Biosphere. I was just going to say some about Biosphere. Has, has anyone been to Biosphere? In Arizona? Yeah, in Arizona. Okay, have you been there recently? A long time ago. A long time ago, okay. Well, I mean, this was an experiment to see if we could build a human um, Earth habitat and live in there. <laughs> it didn't work very well. I mean, they were able to live there for a bit. Um, but right now, they're running all kinds of investigations with all the different um, habitats. So this is, uh, they pumped in a lot, a lot of carbon dioxide for an, a reef, a, a coral reef, because that's the ocean over here. And they're trying to figure out acidification. So if you put CO2, how much acidity can the coral take? Because that's what's happening. So it's kind of interesting, a, a kind of what a lot of scientists considered a failed experiment, like Biosphere 2. They're taking all the different biomes and, and taking human problems right now and doing these investigations. So it's just really interesting for you to kind of find real life things happening and they have a lot of great resources for you. I was there just this past um, spring. So, okay. so, and then last but not least, why do evidence-based claims matter to the Christian teacher or scientist? I just want you to keep that in mind. Um, we are um, people of integrity. Uh, we have amazing minds. God made us to be inquisitive. Our, our students are first and foremost scientists. I mean, you see it every day with all the questions that they ask. Um, you have an awesome responsibility as teachers. You have so much that you're doing every day, um, but you are influencing the future of the kingdom of God. And so don't forget that first and foremost, um, you are speaking about what God created, and you're helping students realize the beauty of what he made, um, the fact that there's order, that there's things to be discovered. We were made to do this. And um, it's not just play when you're dropping water, but you're actually learning something about the marvelous detail that God placed in his creation, that everything is interconnected. And um, so thank you for letting me be here. And um, I love to be with teachers. Again, I am a resource for you, but um, you can't do it alone. I mean, there's many of you might be the only science teacher in your building or the only person of your grade, and you need well, you can get a lot of resources from one another, so feel free to contact me if you have questions. But again, thank you. Thanks for letting me be here. Thank you.